So uh, to get started, in case you haven't been here over the last month or so, uh, Pastor Scott has been speaking a, uh, a sort of a series, um, but we're not going through a book of scripture, but we're going through what he and we have titled Love Letters. And so each week we've been looking at a different sort of community or group, maybe within the church, maybe without the church, or you could be in either, but uh, a specific, specific people group, you might say. So the first week, uh, Pastor Scott spoke to artists, and then he spoke to refugees. Last week, he spoke to uh, single mothers living in the city and uh, groups like that. So uh, I'm going to continue on with that this morning. And so while, I mean, you are all here listening, really the, the letter that I am going to be writing is, is to, well, he, I've been um, given the opportunity to speak to skeptics. But when I was given that uh, title, Skeptics, I was like, wow, that's like everybody, right? Right? Like, that's a huge, big, wide range of a lot of people. So what I, uh, as I was looking at it and kind of, I, you know, looked up what does skeptic mean, really? Um, I'm narrowing it down this morning to what I would call intellectual skeptics. Now, my experience uh, over the last, uh, up until a couple of years ago, is I did campus ministry on university campuses for 10 10 years somewhere else, and then for the past 10 years at Brown. And uh, so I have a lot of experience interacting with, uh, you know, scholarly academics who are skeptics. I mean, really, if you're in New England, you're in Skepticalville, Skepticville, right? I mean, all the, all the, uh, the, uh, the Barner reports and even Gallup talks about how uh, the Northeast, specifically Providence, even more than Boston, is uh, less Bible-minded or have less uh, Bible understanding than any place else in the country. Um, so look it up. I'm, I'm not just like saying this. It's like a number one. I think it moved down to like number four in the last poll. So, hey, you know, we're gaining some ground. Um, but also, uh, being at an Ivy League school, I mean, you talk about Skepticville. This is like the kingdom of spectics. Um, at an Ivy League school. Did I say skeptics? Skeptics. So, um, but let me say this. You do not have to have a higher degree to be a skeptic. Um, those are my, uh, so anybody can be a skeptic. The cool thing is, is anybody also can be a believer in Jesus because Jesus opened up the way for all of us to become children of his in the kingdom. I'm going to try not to use so much Christianese words tonight, uh, this morning, but um, so those I am addressing today, I would say most of them have actually seen or even considered the claims of the church, the Christian faith, and for now have rejected or have serious intellectual doubts about it. So that's kind of the, 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 the crowd that I'm addressing. Again, I'm painting with wide strokes, but more often than not, the type of person I'm thinking of are my friends who have at first not tended to think as much about does Christianity work? Does it work? But more, is it true? So this morning my goal or purpose is not to deal with the objections or debates about the Christian faith today. I mean, there's a lot of them and there's lots of places that you can look. This is not an apologetics course this morning. 
Rather, my letter um, is written in regards to how we interact with one another. Um, if you're looking for uh, an apologetics book, The Reason for God by Tim Keller, I know some of the small groups are doing that. That Actually, a lot of my thought processes lately and what I'm going to be speaking in here comes from that. There's also another really uh, new book, a really great new book by a woman named uh, Rebecca McLaughlin called Confronting Christianity. She's a scholar and uh, part of the Gospel Coalition. Um, it talks about 12 objections that the Christian faith must answer. Um, C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, written 80 years ago, it's still relevant today. I've never read uh, Lee Strobel, but I've heard The Case of Christ is Good. So, um, you know, take a look at those. But like I said, my, my letter is, is this morning going to be more in regards to how we interact with one another. Those who don't self-identify as Christians and those who do self-identify or claim to be Christians. And when I'm talking about those, I'm not talking about how we should, we should not just peacefully coexist. I'm not going to be talking about peacefully coexisting like that bumper sticker talks about. But actually, how do we find common ground in our attitudes towards one another? Not necessarily the, the dogma or doctrines, but, but our attitudes towards one another. So letters, right? How do you start a letter? Dear skeptic, hello, how are you today? Well, let me introduce myself. My name is John, and I'm speaking today about how the church interacts with those who are skeptical of the Christian church and the Christian faith, perhaps suspect of the institution of the church, and maybe question the intellectual honesty of those who claim to be Christians. Now, one of the main reasons I'm writing to you today is to apologize. Now, if you're a skeptic or a Christian, you may have had only good things to think about the church growing up. It may have been hunky-dory, everything was great, people were very kind to you, but I know that that's not always the experience. And in my interaction with those who have more objections to the faith, those university students and those around the city, that's not necessarily been the norm. So I need to apologize for things you may have experienced from the Christian church. See, in our zeal and our excitement for Jesus as Christians, we have made many mistakes. We've done a lot of good in the world, but I think that we've made a lot of mistakes in dealing especially with those who are questioning their faith. So I'm sorry for Christian bumper sticker cliches that belittle skeptics or in discussions giving simple pat answers to some of your deepest questions, feeling we need to answer even when we don't have the answer rather than let you think about it. We can be really good at talking, but sometimes not really good at listening. And I'll share a little bit more about that in a bit. Sometimes we expect you to follow our values or our morality when you don't even necessarily believe in our God. Or we expect you to make a quick decision when we've made a good point. You know, okay, now we've made a good point. You need to make a quick decision about coming into our side about faith issues. That's not right. And then you may have felt like this, and hopefully not, but that, that 
a friend that you thought was a friend, he realized you weren't really a friend, they weren't a friend to you, but you were a project to them. And I'm sorry for thinking that you're one-dimensional. Not everybody thinks this way, but I know that some in the church have a tendency to group skeptics as one type of person, a homogenous group like, oh, you're a skeptic? Well, then, then you belong to the group or community of non-believing, angry, morally corrupt God-haters. <laughs> and I don't think that's always true. Now, you may, but it's almost like as if every person that has real doubts about the gospel of Jesus is, is the same as everyone else. Oh, you're just part of that group of sinners not saved by grace. Now, again, I've never said that, but in my growing up and maturing, have I ever thought that? Maybe. Maybe some of you out there are like, ah, no, I'm, I'm all good. Well, you don't have to look back, but just think about the way that you interact with non-Christians and what, what sort of attitudes do you give off? What sort of error? But if we do say that or think that, we're actually saying something that's totally totally antithetical to scripture and contrary to the very idea that God has created all people unique and all people in his image and that all lives are valuable and precious in his sight. All lives are valuable and precious in his sight. Now I've, I've spoken with many of you, even out here this morning, um, by their own admission, are close to taking that step of faith, but would still call themselves skeptics. Maybe just a couple of hang-ups. Remarkably, I have even found uh, some of you who have honestly said, I could become a Christian if I could just get a couple of these things worked out. Wow, that's awesome. But I've probably spoken over the years um, with more of you who admittedly, in your own words, would say, I'm as far as possible. I'm firmly an atheist. So we have this wide range of people who we would <clears throat> call skeptics. <clears throat> but either way, I recognize, after all, that you and I have this common ground, you skeptics. We are people with families, jobs, pets, hobbies, etc. And we all have stories to our lives. Now, just to bring it down to street level, um, you've heard uh, Pastor Scott talk about his mentor, Nick Fatato, who's also one of my mentors, but uh, like, he's, you know, he's like grandfather and uh, Scott is father and I am son. So, um, but I, I do have a good friendship with Nick. And one of the things that I've heard him speak about, um, he uh, was the pastor of a church in Boston and he had a lot of interactions with people in the city. And uh, at some point he got in a discussion with a couple of them and they said, well, you know, we don't like the way that you label us. And he's like, what? Well, like, you know, a skeptic or a non-Christian or an unbeliever. And he's like, well, what do you want me to call you? They're like, how about normal people? And he's like, okay, I'll call you normal people. My thought is, well, that kind of makes sense because Christians a lot of times were not normal. 
But so one of the biggest issues is that some of us have not taken the time to actually listen to you. If you are a skeptic slash normal person, you are a person I want to get to know. You have a perspective I want to hear. Honestly, I love my brothers and sisters in the church. I mean, they're my family. But sometimes, sometimes being just around them makes me feel insular and homogenous. Listening to you makes me a better person. Now, I want to be in the church with my family as well, but I also want to listen to you. I want to hear your story. I'm a firm believer that Christians with discernment can learn a lot about can learn a lot from just about anyone or or any perspective. Because we're believers in truth and recognize we don't have it all together. Right? Now, another misstep that we as the imperfect church people make is by being sometimes dishonest with ourselves, which gives off an air of pride. I have felt, if I show any difficult or confusion about my faith in Jesus, that I'm just not being a good Christian. You ever feel that way? Yeah, Yeah, I have a little bit of doubt. I have some questions. So this may be you, maybe not, but rarely... Do Christians, well, I shouldn't say rarely, but it's hard to admit our doubts to others, especially of those who are not believers, because we're worried that we're going to give them, you know, more uh, ammunition for why we shouldn't be, right? And so what I've seen happen is that, as true as with many other things, we tend to judge others by our own standards, which we can't even live up to. So we say things like, doubts or doubting is evil. Well, let me share a secret that you might not know. Christians sometimes have doubts, questions, or issues. My own example for the biggest crisis of faith that I had after I'd been a Christian for a number of years was when my brother died. He died early, and I I didn't see any reason for it. And it really got me to question, not was God existent, I had, was he good? I don't know, but I just had a lot of questions and, and doubts. Maybe I, I did doubt a little bit, is God good or does he know what he's doing? And so, I mean, that had been after I'd been a believer for, I don't know, 15 years or something like that. Uh, you know, I'm struggling with some some health issues in my family right now that I just, I'm not sure about what's going on. So I have some, I don't know if you'd call them doubts, but I have a little bit of maybe confusion, but I'm also at peace with God. So let me just say this about doubt and what scripture says about doubt. You can find that the Bible does have a lot to say about doubt. And you hear Jesus saying, you know, why are you doubting? And don't doubt, just believe. But it seems much more, as you read into Scripture, that it's much more nuanced than just don't do it. Just don't doubt. Right? It deals more with don't wallow in doubt. And if you have questions or confusion or issues, seek God's answers. Right? And so that's, that's speaking to both believers and those who aren't believers 
to say, God has the answers and he'll bring you to a place of peace. So in saying that, Christians ought to recognize that we are in the process of having our minds renewed. None of us really have it all figured out. I mean, if we did, Christians, what use would there be in reading our Bible anymore? Right? We got it all, right? So hopefully as I grow older and more mature in my faith, the wiser and more discerning I become, right? But the more I grow older and the more mature I become in my faith, becoming wiser and more discerning, the more about God and faith I realize, I don't know. (laughs) You know, that's what happens. Because thank God, there's an eternal supply of learning available for all of, the, of us. Think about the biggest Amazon warehouse or all of them together. God has a lot more to give us and say, a lot more information, a lot more gifts, a lot more stuff in there. And we've just, even the, the most learned of us, have just barely put our foot into the entrance. There's a lot of stuff to learn. So Christians should be determined that this is the process. Growing in wisdom and knowing God as much as you can while on earth. Get into that warehouse. Okay. I'm getting off track, but I'm still writing the letter. Just expressing to our skeptic friends, you know, some of the things about Christians. Now, Tim Keller The Reason for God, the book that I mentioned. I would say just the introduction is worth the whole price of the book, which is a fabulous read. In the intro, he he speaks to both Christians and skeptics. I mean, that's the whole book, but he's really specific about addressing both groups. One of the things is he says is basically, okay, you're a skeptic. That's fine. But why? What's your reasoning? you need to have some sort of reasoning for why you are skeptical. He says, this is the standard that actually both believers and skeptics should have. Reasons other than, it's just what I think or feel. Right? He urges believers in the faith to really think about why they believe what they believe, to wrestle with any doubts they have, and that struggling to understand God and his ways Some doubt is okay. Because he says, a faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. Antibodies. But what he says in the introduction next is deeply profound. He says, I recommend or I commend two two processes to, to my readers. First, I urge skeptics to wrestle, or normal people, to wrestle with the unexamined faith on which skepticism is based. And see how hard it is to justify your beliefs to those who do not share them. Make sense? Then he says, but I also urge believers to wrestle with their personal and culture's objections to the faith. At the end of each process, even if you remain the skeptic or the believer that you were before, you will hold your own position with more a greater clarity and greater humility. 
And there will be an understanding, sympathy, and a respect for the other side that didn't exist before. Believers and non-believers will rise to the level of disagreement rather than simply denouncing one another. Now, that was a mouthful, and I did read some of it. I hope that that made it clear. So arguments or discussions or disagreements with one another um, are okay and, and good if they're done with respect. But just for the sake of argument, just arguing for the sake of argument, not so good. If you as a skeptic or as a Christian are just out to argue, um, your belief or skepticism may take the form of cynicism. Cynicism is a lot worse than skepticism. I did a, a comparison of the words, and they're not actually all that alike. Now, it's easy to move, not quite so easy, but sometimes it's easy to move into that cynicism when we think we're just being skeptical or we're just, you know, standing for our faith or whatever. We've got to watch out for that because that's not helpful, and it doesn't build trust. Okay, so now you may have doubts, uh, normal people, not only about my beliefs, but my motivations. And I understand why. And I will give you the space you need. But I will pursue your friendship. If you want to know about me, I'm going to tell you about my family, my job, what I do for fun, my recreation. But I have to tell you something about Jesus Because he's really my life, right? Like everything that I do is with thoughts in him in mind and knowing that he's with me. I can't tell you about myself without talking about Jesus and something. And if you just want to discuss religion, which I would guess is true of you if you're here this morning or listening for some reason. I mean, you're here for some reason. I love to talk about spiritual issues. Can I ask you what your story is? Can I ask you what you're skeptical about? And can we talk about that? These are questions that I have for you, and hopefully, you know, yeah, sure. Believe it or not, there might be even some things that we, surprisingly, might agree on. And, as a friend, can I tell you my story? of struggle and doubt and how I shifted myself from skepticism to faith? These are the questions that I have of you, skeptics, normal people. So as I mentioned, I was a campus minister, a campus missionary of a new Christian group at Brown for the previous 10 years. And when we were a new burgeoning Christian group on campus, we used the slogan that we were a community to believe, doubt, and seek. I still love that motto. It just means a lot to me. Now, I remember uh, early on, I was talking to a friend of mine, a Christian friend, and I told him about the motto. I was kind of excited, and he kind of challenged me. He's like, well, shouldn't it be called like a, maybe like a, a group or a community for people to come and believe? I was like, it surprised me. I was like, well, yeah, I hope that God opens everybody's eyes and to experience God's love and grace and the truth of the gospel of Jesus. 
But we have to start friendships by meeting people where they're at in their spiritual journey. Uh, Chris even talked about that as he was praying this morning. Um, So throughout my time as a campus missionary, I had multiple opportunities to go to Starbucks, usually, with students whom I met who were self-admitted skeptics, agnostics, or atheists who found themselves either at our fun functions where we were doing barbecues or whatever, or playing capture the flag on the main green or whatever, or even at times at our worship gatherings. Many of these guys and and women I became friends with, and some even came to belong uh, to our group and even became members of REN. I don't know if there's any of you guys out there this morning that are in that group, but the funny thing was... um, when I would meet them, these guys, for coffee, I always felt like the first thing that had to be said, and they would use it, usually say it sheepishly because I was taking them out for coffee. They would say, well, I just want to let you know that I'm, I'm not a Christian. <laughs> like, I already kind of know that. But, but uh, um, I would let them know that's fine. You know, I'm taking you out for coffee. We're just, you know, have a conversation, you know, and talk whatever you want to talk about. But usually in discussions, it just came up <clears throat> where I would ask, well, why do you come? Well, why do you come to our group? Um, now, most of them, almost all of them said because of the music and or because of the people, uh, the friends who valued them. Yeah, none of them said the preaching. <laughs> except, <clears throat> except one who actually, this is kind of a funny story. Um, I, this guy had come to our group on a Friday night, our worship gathering, and he was there, and I had never met him. I didn't know who he was. And afterwards, he said, hey, I'd like to meet with you for coffee or something this week, and we found up the time. And, and I didn't know even, I think I got his name. And so I walked in that, later that week into the coffee shop, and he was standing up, and he goes, uh, even before you sit down, let me tell you, I'm not a Christian, and I liked what you had to say on Friday, but I didn't agree with any of it. And I was kind of like, okay, so, you know, why are we here, right? Like, um, the cool thing is, he kept coming more and more, and he became a believer in Jesus. He became a leader in our group, and he became a member of Renaissance Church. So that, that was awesome. That wasn't always the way, and I, I mean, more often than not, a lot of the guys that I went out with coffee for, we continued to be friends um, and go out for coffee and see him at other things, but... A lot of them never made that next step. Some of them made a step, but not the next step. Or, you know, there are a variety of, of experiences. So. That's what I love about my church here. Um, I hope it doesn't sound like boasting to say what I like about this church. I'm not the senior pastor, so I think it's Okay. When my family moved to Providence, my wife and I, 15 years ago, there was a certain uh, sense of unity, of vision in our mission of sharing the gospel with Pastor Scott and the other leaders. But it was also, there was also, um, it was also beautiful because of the diversity of voices and respect that existed here. What I could say about Wren is it is a community to believe doubt and seek. 
I think about things that we've done over the years. The Alpha series, which was early on in the, the church, uh, led by Nate and a guy named Josh. The film discussions that we did. Uh, the class or discussion group that uh, Nate did about the hard issues um, that he led a, a couple of years ago. They were all open to anyone, but really it was, it's been an, a way to engage the mind of those who are not convinced. Now, we're not perfect, but we're always looking to improve. What I can count on when I come to this church on Sunday and, and you know, throughout the weeks and months and years is that the church preaching and teaching and worship is going to be biblical. Sometimes encouraging, sometimes challenging to both Christians and normal people alike. And hopefully it's always engaging and relevant to you no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey and honoring to God and speaking life into places of dread. I hope that's what you're experiencing. Sincerely, John. So that's where my letter ends, but that doesn't, I'm not done yet. <laughs> Let me uh, speak to the church, you guys, in this last section. As I was preparing this message, a lot of what kept coming up to, uh, coming to mind was that verse in 1 Corinthians 2 where it talks about, how Paul says, you know, when I came to you, my message and preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of, you know, the Spirit's power. So I was like, well, how do you, like, I, uh, how does that work? Well, as believers in Christ, we do need to believe in the power of God. And we need to believe in miracles. But I was, as I read in scripture, I was reminded, if you read the book of Acts, in case you're wondering about how biblical it is to reason with someone who differs with you in the issues of faith, you read that book of Acts and look at what Paul did in every city that he visited during his missionary journeys. Every one of them, he went into the temple, into the temple or the city center and it said he reasoned with the religious and philosophical leaders. That's where he started. So if you don't agree with me, look up reasoned in your concordance, and it's all over Acts. So reasoning, thinking critically, is part of our faith. And we should, in a sense, understand that there is power in that. So we're not saying, oh, we don't believe in the power of God, we just believe in reason. Or we just believe in reason. It's together. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing, and kind of the crux of, of the question that I have for you to leave with you this morning, is what is the Christian motivation for life? What is the Christian motivation for life? Well, if you look in the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 22, talks about this discussion Jesus has. One of the Pharisees, who was an expert in Jewish law, tested Jesus with this question. He said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. But then he goes on to say, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So according to Matthew and the New Testament authors, what is the Christian motivation for life? 
to love and serve God and to love and serve others. Do we, as the church, have an agenda as we've often been accused of? Well, if you're using the term agenda as a deceptive and a disingenuous trick to corner people into faith, no, <laughs> right? But if agenda means a grand purpose or goal, yeah, we have an agenda. It's our calling. We have been commanded and commissioned in Scripture, especially the New Testament, to tell the good news of Jesus. Once you surrendered your life to Christ, you kind of signed up to share your faith and make disciples in Providence, New England, the U.S., and around the world. That's the Great Commission. And truly understanding the Great Commission in the context of the whole Testament means sticking to the mission of God, sharing the good news. And why should we share the good news? Because we really love others. It would be ludicrous to think of the mission of Jesus apart from the love of Jesus. If you miss that part, then you haven't read or understood any of the Gospels or the Epistles. As a missionary friend once told me, when we begin to see people as projects, we have disengaged from love. There are no knots on your belt or special trophies when you share the good news of Jesus with some. That's not, it's not about what you get. And you ought not to do it out of rules or duty, but because you are compelled by love. Skeptic, if you feel like you're just a project of someone, my advice, run. They don't really love you. So to come in for a landing, this begs the question, church, how can we be kind and pushy if someone we love, if somebody that we love's eternal soul is on the line? Love compels us to tell the story. But love, with patience and trust in God, tells us to realize we're ultimately not in control of anyone's soul or future. No man or woman has ever saved a soul. The Bible says some plant the seeds of the gospel, others water, some even get to harvest. But who causes the growth? Only God by his Holy Spirit. You have a friend who is a skeptic, who you really love, my biggest advice is pray often for them. God can do things that we didn't, don't even expect. And you know what? Maybe even tell them you are praying for them. Why should they be offended if they don't even believe in prayer, right? Amen. God, thank you for... Uh, putting the church in our lives or getting us to be part of the body of Christ where we can love one another and serve one another. Thank you for your Holy Spirit which guides us and leads us in life and in our mission and leads us to love God more. And thank you, God, that uh, when we 
surrendered our lives to you. You didn't just take us up to heaven and said, now you're with me. But you said, I'm going to leave you here for my mission. But I'm going to be with you till the end of the age. God, help us to take these thoughts and anything that was said that, you know, was truth um, and, and build it into us, God. Help us to understand and love uh, those who are um, not following you or not believing in you at this point, but recognizing, God, that, like we said at the beginning, Lord, that, that every life is precious to you, precious in your sight, and that your goal and vision is to, uh, that none should perish, it says in Scripture. Thank you, God, for our time to be together. In Jesus' name, amen.